0: tony and josh from ggch of course trip fuller and Homebrewed christianity and a whole grip of others and you can use the promo code return of yhp all one word for 25 dollars off your ticket prices go up starting june 1st that link will be in the notes i hope to see a bunch of you guys there in october it was a serious highlight of last year for me All right. I'm excited for this. I'm joined by three friends, Sari Concepcion, Myron Penner, and Kristen Teidman. Kristen, we know you through Myron, and I will explain uh, your role helping us with this project. So we, in the summer, conducted a little survey of post-evangelical leaders. That's what we are calling it. These are people who work broadly in this space that, that I tend to work in. And Myron, Sari, and I were chatting, and we were like, hey, is there, is there basically some sort of way that all of us ought to be more connected? And then I think, Myron, you said, well, maybe we should figure out <laughs> if people even agree on anything, you know. And then from there, we could decide if we want to if – if there's motivation or need for some sort of connection, loose or, or less loose. So we asked six questions – of all these people, which I'll read in a minute. Um, And we got 16 responses. And that doesn't seem like a very good sample size. But I think for something like this, where there's maybe 40 or 50 kind of big podcasts or authors in this world, it's actually a pretty good sample size. And we told people that we would not reveal any names as part of our ask. So I'm not going to say who answered, but I will say it's almost a who's who of the post-evangelical space, like a lot of names that you would recognize if you are in this world. So pretty happy with, with who we got uh, to respond.
1: That's way better than actually saying the people because it's so mysterious. It's like, just trust <laughs> yes. us. You yeah. know who we're talking
0: about. People can <laughs> and Then fill they can it just in. use their imagination, fill in the blanks.
1: It's like not showing the monster in the movie. It's way, way more impressive. Siri,
0: you're absolutely right. <laughs> Um, Is there anything you guys want to say about this before I talk a little bit about that sample and kind of where people are coming from?
2: I think my memory of our first conversations around this topic, Dan, was your wondering about whether there was some, like you said earlier, you know, need to not organize per se, but just to foster some kind of greater connection uh, among people in this space uh, and then... Starting to think about what that might look like, and then we just uh you know wanted to to see well or would people even be interested in that? Is there any kind of agreement about what it is that they do? How do people in this space understand their reach and impact to to the populations that they serve so um yeah, I think uh, I think that's right,
3: yeah, all I would say is especially after Theology beer camp. I think that these questions are relevant and were some of the things almost people were trying to ask. But it's not like they conducted a survey while we were there. So this is, uh, yeah, good information.
0: Well, now you're just making me feel like we should have we should have asked the exact same questions to the attendees hmm. of theology beer camp and seen if there was agreement. Ooh. Well, but I think I, I, I mean there
2: will be other theology beer camps and there'll be other gatherings of people in this space. And I think what this little survey has done is given us a good kind of push and direction about how we could maybe collect further information to kind of uh, more extend and refine the studies. So
1: Yeah. Yeah. My comment is just that if your experience of this community is dominated by interactions on Twitter, it is not accurate. (laughs) And that the... I mean, we'll get into this more, but this, like... what? (laughs) 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 The, just the spirit of, like, positivity that exists in some Mm. of these answers and the, I'm trying not to say servant's heart, but I just...
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, please lean into it. it.
1: (laughs) But there's just, like, a really beautiful tone to a lot of these answers, and I found that really refreshing. I think that even as leaders or, like, consumers of this content... I've been feeling some burnout. I don't know. There's always new waves of people coming in. But critiquing can be so exhausting. And Mm. wanting to build towards something positive, I think, is refreshing.
0: Thanks be to God. (laughs) (laughs) Most of my notes are kind of top level, like about the aggregate and what people agreed upon or didn't agree upon as much. Which, Kristen, thank you very much for compiling uh, 16 long form answers to six questions <laughs> into, uh, some themes, but reading yes. the actual responses is really interesting because there are a lot of humanity. Like you're saying, a lot of empathy comes out a lot of, which makes sense. I mean, my own experience of doing this show is like, it comes from a pretty sincere place. I wouldn't spend all this time. I wouldn't have had the idea in the first place if I didn't want to do something good for the world. Hmm. Maybe that goes without saying, but in a format where you get a lot of attention and you get to talk a lot and you, you know, there's ego reasons and all that stuff too. But the primary motivation I should say for doing the show comes from a a sincere place of wanting to to be helpful. I thought it was just you trying to work out your own shit, Dan. (laughs) Well, it does help me too. Of course, you know, it's like people say sometimes the best thing to figure out what you think is to write, right? Like you write about something to figure out what you actually believe about it. And I'm sure there's something similar here. I talk about it. I process it uh, in real time with people. But yeah, so that's definitely showing up. So
1: to quote Sam Perez, post ironic hyper sincerity. (laughs) Yes, (laughs)
0: post-ironic hyper sincerity. (laughs) From the that is, I want to make a T-shirt that says that and just wear that. Me too. (laughs) Um, Okay, a little bit about the sample: sixteen post-evangelical leaders. Almost every one of these people does a podcast, but not only that. Eighty percent also do some social media posting. About half also do a blog, Substack, or a newsletter, and about half write books. Uh, And maybe one, one more has a book coming. Only a quarter of these people work in a local church, which I flagged and I'd like to talk about sort of at the end of the sample characteristics. Almost all, 15 out of 16, identify as either Christian, that's eight, or Jesus follower slash Jesus centric, seven. I
1: thought that was interesting. Mm -hmm.
0: I also thought that was interesting. And to be clear, like there are plenty of liberals here. This is not, I didn't go to the gospel coalition list of, these are (laughs) post evangelicals. So that's a really high number of identification as still something with Jesus. Only 12% spiritual, but not religious and 18% agnostic. So some people said both agnostic and Christian or Jesus follower. Interesting. Everyone <laughs> said that their work reaches, we asked who is consuming your stuff. Everyone said it reaches deconstructing or questioning religious people. That makes sense. 70% said it also reached reconstructing religious people. Only 25% thought that their work was reaching the, quote, actively religious, which I thought was interesting. I I guess some of that is semantics. I would consider a reconstructing religious person actively religious as well. Uh, So maybe that's just the words I used were a little clunky. But this one's interesting. I want to get your thoughts on it. Here's my last sample note. Only two out of 16 said that they are reaching the deconverting or the deconverted. Now, my experience is that I also didn't think that you have permission was reaching those people until a bunch of those people told me that it was. And so <laughs> my guess is that people are actually wrong about this, that a lot of people who will just find their way out but need a soft landing or even are done but are still interested because it's the world they come from. Maybe they went to seminary, maybe they, you know were a big youth group kid, uh, and this was very important to them. And so I don't know. What do you guys think about that? That, that seems like a low number,
3: 12%. I had a thought that the understanding of who's deconverting is, is pretty unclear actually. Like I even look at my own life. Like now people are like, Oh, what at beer camp? I think actually it might've been Josh. who's like, well, are you Christian? And I was like, uh, I, I don't know. I was like, how do I answer this? I don't know. Like at the stage I'm at. And so a little bit of it is like, I also think a lot of people don't aren't if they're deep in it, which like, yeah, like me, super involved in youth groups, super involved Christian school, church, everything. I don't want to say I'm deconverting. So do I know the end from the beginning? Not really. And also I'm like, I think, holding on to different sorts of hopes. So I think that's part of it. And I I think the perception of me would probably be that I'm just like in the deconstruction process, like from the outside too. So, yeah. So I don't know inside and people don't know
2: outside. Well, it gets complicated too, because I'm imagining like younger you, Kristen, would look at current Kristen and wonder, you know, is she really Christian, right?
3: Oh. Oh for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I would younger me would be distraught.
0: <laughs> I would I would venture to say that ninety percent of listeners of this episode that would be true of as well. Mm-hmm. There's some yeah. younger version of you that would be like you You're not you're a Christian. N- you're not going Christian. to hell. You're going to you're hell. Go- yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, if you if you wow. die tonight,
1: you are going to hell.
0: <laughs> and that's a real like that's a very psychologically powerful reality. I don't I feel like I have heard And read very little about that phenomenon for being probably like very deeply wired in our brains, especially if you were raised with a lot of sort of religious barometric pressure or humidity. I like the weather (laughs) metaphors. If you're really ensconced in that world and then to have to deal with the fact that, okay, I don't believe that anymore. But I would have thought I was going to hell, like me. I yeah. would have thought that about yes. me now. Okay. That is like a really crazy phenomenon.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. To me, the term conversion has like a very external tone to it. I don't. So like to say, uh, well, I have this soapbox thing, which maybe we'll get into later right now about like, you know, the term evangelical Christian like, I'm definitely not an evangelical Christian anymore. And how different do you have to be in the ways you practice your faith? Hmm. And also your internal belief change? Like, how different do those things have to be for it to be considered a conversion? Like, it would be a little more obvious, I guess, if I now identified with Judaism or something like that, (laughs) or Buddhism (laughs) or something. Um, But uh, I don't know, maybe the definitions just aren't super clear there i have there's a lot of baggage with evangelicalism and and in this survey and like i think a lot of people have like shame around identifying even mm. as christian because it's so tied up with evangelicalism and embarrassment <laughs> because of the national narratives that we have going on right now and it, somebody said i think it was diana butler bassett um beer camp that there was a survey where like Eighty percent of journalists were only aware of one kind of Christian, and it's an evangelical Whoa. Christian. And I was—I looked for that. Like, I don't know what she's citing exactly, so I want to be careful. But like, I trust her. Um, wow. <laughs> and that was like really bummed me out. Like, it, it's hard to mm-hmm. know how to like identify or navigate in the world in that space, especially if you're like going into if you're doing like public work or something, like making a podcast or whatever, and like what connotations are you bringing up for most people if you say that word Christian or, or something, you know? so Let mm-hmm. me add a
0: little to that anxiety for you. Let me do you that favor. I was listening to Trip and Ryan Burge uh, on the most recent time that Trip had him on. He brought out a stat that he thinks is a canary in the coal mine for like what to expect for the next 10 to 20 years of Christianity in America, which is that like fewer than 10%, maybe 5% of all seminarians right now are in like mainline seminaries. And I don't have the exact numbers, but something like, you know, ex- excluding Catholics, it's like 80, 90% evangelical, Southern Baptist. Like all the pastors that are going to be spat out in the next decade or two are. Conservative. And more and more and more, evangelical means Republican. You have Mm -hmm. Hindus and Muslims identifying as evangelicals because of what that means culturally to them. not a huge percentage, but some in a a way that like would it would be completely nonsensical 15 years ago, uh, 30 years ago. Right. Because it's more of a
1: political identity. Right. Mm -hmm. Like That is so So weird. Christianity
0: in America at the moment is only trending more and more sociopolitically right. And so if you are squeamish about it now, you should probably expect to be more squeamish about it in 10 years. Isn't that crazy? I don't like that thought.
1: Yeah, it made me want to do, like, like for a second, I had this whole thing, like, I need to start a project where it really highlights other types of Christians and Christianity <laughs> yeah. in mm. the world, yeah. in America, in the black church, the, in the mainline church. Like, I did an interview with DBB at Beer Camp where she did this beautiful tribute. Like, her, she's just a wordsmith. She did a beautiful yeah. tribute. It'll come out in a few months of uh, to the mainline churches and how they saved her and how they're like small and dying and people make fun of them but they're they really ha- are doing beautiful work and have helped her so much in her life and blah 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 and i'm like someone needs to do this huge expose and, but like i don't need another project right now
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i was just thinking about that last night with like soren like, we, we're needing to get our butts in gear with church, because we do want him to have a church experience. And we've kind of dragged our feet, but we have started reading certain books. He's two and a half. Like, he's just kind of getting to that place. And, like, we will be choosing a mainline church. And so in my family's life, my son's spiritual trajectory is going to be influenced by the mainline church. And when I think about him, I don't give two... F- about if these churches are dying in the 50 year broad scheme of things, he's my son and he is going to get some spiritual heritage from that world. Do I wish that more people had access to that? Yes. But at the same time, who cares? I get to do it with him. We get to do it with him and it still is there. And so I don't know. That was a weird kind of almost existential moment about that, where I think I do tend to think, think in the big... Trend terms, but who cares in some sense? If it's really true that in the
2: broader public, non-religious or non-people uh, ident- identify Christianity with evangelicalism, uh, that's exactly the way the evangelical power structures want it, because that's what they mm. think too.. Mm. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs>
0: Yeah, there's a feedback mechanism there that's not gonna be helpful. Yes. Ugh.
3: Can well, can we get more of the nuns and the duns self identifying?
0: I wonder if it becomes maybe I'm comfortable with that because of like punk rock. You know, like when you're a punk teenager, people are like, Oh, you like rock music? Well, yeah, I like rock music, but not the kind of rock music that you probably know about. You know, it's like, Yeah, I'm a Christian, but not the kind of Christian that you probably think I am from reading the newspaper or whatever. You know, like Maybe I'm just comfortable with that because that was how I was formed as a young adult. I don't know. So, only a quarter of everyone that we interviewed works at all in a local church. That's interesting. This is a, this kind of post evangelical thing is a very online community. And I thought that that was just maybe worth noting. And I don't know if you guys had any thoughts about that or experiences. I think it's, I think it's hopeful
2: actually in the sense that. I think online spaces just create the opportunity for ongoing, lasting community and punctuated by regular, just whatever that means, uh actual in-person events. I mean, I, I can imagine a group of people whose kind of Christian post-evangelical spirituality is nurtured and sustained by... The kind of content that they're consuming on a fairly regular basis online, and then going to two or three maybe, maybe one kind of in-person event where like-minded people are going to gather and they can have that, that in-person existential, uh, kind of bonding, like that seems sustainable. And there's a question for you, Dan, but is that kind of maybe in the back of your mind when you're thinking like this, this movement is actually has legs in a way that may, might require the the people who are providing content in this space to just even acknowledge and recognize that. I think I'm less
0: hopeful when I compare <laughs> it to the experience of a regular churchgoer. Especially yeah. like a twice a week churchgoer, which from from my reading of the sociology literature is kind of the gold standard, right? Where you you've really got regular at least once a week, but preferably more community. You have a tight knit tight knit sort of social connection. You maybe are helping raise each other's children. You are doing activities together. You're doing life together as we used to say, (laughs) Uh, you know, and all the benefits of that. Like I do worry that like, okay, a weekly podcast and once a year you get together and and what if you can't afford to fly there? You know, what if there isn't one that you can drive to is a really big couple countries we have here. Mm -hmm. Very long drive distances between a lot of cities. So it might be more like the early church or something like that, where it's, you know, it exists in these little nodes or whatever.
3: It's funny with like the self-identifying. So my friend group here, no one's going to church right now. There's like eight of us kind of, like two of them never did, but the rest of us grew up super churched. But we have a thing where it's like, let's eat together. And then probably one other hangout throughout the week that some people come to. And that's a similar model. And we joke that it is like our church and we sing like the doxology before we eat because we're freaks. Uh, but no, it's like this thing where it's, it's ritualistic and that feeds that need. But none of us, if we were identifying would, you know, say we're in church right now. So
1: yeah, I think that's how it kind of has to start out. I mean, a huge majority of these folks have experienced harm in the church, and that's reflected in a lot of the answers from these leaders, too. You know, my story, for a couple of years, I was involved in a church plan, and things went pretty sideways and I experienced a lot of harm from that. And I've processed that a ton with like a spiritual director and therapists and done all that kind of stuff. But there's a type of healing that can only happen when you start step- stepping foot in new healthy communities. Like you can get to kind of like this ground zero, but to really like, I think you need to, to really grow past it. You have to have some healthy spiritual community experiences. But it's been like slow going and it's looked like... Meeting with the Big Five, it's been, like, going once a month to church, (laughs) to a Once a month to a, a, you know, a liberal congregation. It's been stuff like that to kind of take it slow, you know, and you hear about people doing, like, instead of book groups, doing podcast groups where they listen to an episode and they talk about it, and I think all that stuff's really good, and the kind of stuff Kristen just talked about, like, I think that is a good in-between phase, I would like to see more healthy models of actual, more churchy church. In between
3: living now and going to hell when you die.
1: <laughs> right. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you
0: got to get your kicks in while you can.
2: <laughs> you know, some there, there needs to be like... And and maybe maybe these these kinds of resources will come. But just as as Kristen was talking about, you know, this beautiful kind of weekly gathering uh, with her and her hellbound friends, um, (laughs) it it just it made me think. You know, there's a need maybe to provide some kind of resources for nurturing spiritual practices and developing community among the post evangelicals who are, you know, who, Mm. who, who might be longing for something a little bit thicker, but not traumatic. Right. And here, you know, here are a few things that you can do with people in your geographic location who might be in the same space as you develop kind of community. And and
3: we've talked about that with our group. Like, it's funny. We've thrown out ideas. Like some people are like, well, should we, should we pray? They were like, should we, should we sing? And then there's other people like, I'm not singing, like, like me, other people being me. Like, I'm not singing a worship song, sorry. Like, you guys can. <laughs> Music is but... probably the
1: most triggering thing for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
3: But that's like, we've thrown those ideas out because exactly, we're like, it feels like this is churchy, but like, how much do we bring in? And then we're like, do we, we're not trying to recreate church. But yeah, it's a great question.
1: The question we asked on the thing it was like, what does the future for organized Christianity look like if you think such a thing is desirable? And there was some, like, specific stuff in there, and there was, like, one reference to, like, the emergent church movement, mm. and saying, oh, they had a lot of good ideas, <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, I think Tony would be like, okay, let's try something different, because that failed. Uh, <laughs> but he zoomed yeah, out. I don't he really know. He zoomed out on it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, I, and I don't know the details
0: of, like, what happened with all that, but, you know, yeah,
1: whatever. I'd go to a church in a bar. Is that the idea?
0: i think it was more than just that but
2: yeah i'm not an expert on emergent but maybe it was like the right idea at the wrong time like it would there there was such an institutional entrenchment that any kind of uh of of just kind of the the evangelical power structure that you know maybe there was just too much oh man tony's listening to this
1: now and being like these people don't know what they're talking about well no here i (laughs) so he he spoke
0: to this i was at a I was at a Templeton Foundation, you know, planning session with him and Sarah Lane Ritchie back in June. And this came up because one of the one of the questions of the it's the spiritual yearning initiative that they've now that they're in the process of uh, working through submissions on and whatnot. And one thing that came up was there were some people who community organizing is not the right word, but there were some people there who have worked on organizational initiatives, for lack of a better term. And Tony was like, well, you know, I've got some thoughts on this. Like his talk Mm -hmm. was partly playing old news coverage of the emergent movement from 15, 20 years ago or whatever it was. And like a young Tony still got his hair. It's really interesting. (laughs) But one of the things he said, and we don't have to belabor this, but I thought this was really interesting. He said that what we were trying to do in the emergent church, and by the way, for people who don't know what that is, think Early Brian McLaren, early Rob Bell, technically early Mark Driscoll, but that well's been so poisoned. Doug Padgett, um, late 90s, early aughts, uh, you know, churches in the round, churches at bars, you know, this kind of stuff. He said, we're all reading Derrida and all these philosophers, and what we wanted to do was to change the way that authority of interpreting the text worked. And we wanted people to take ownership for interpreting the text. And what we found is that people don't fucking want to take ownership for interpreting the text. No churches got big that did that. Not that many people. Like I do like we do the type of people who would make a podcast about this, but most people don't. And so that's what he saw as if not the one of the main flaws of. Of that movement. Now, that's not necessarily the stuff you were talking about, Sari, the sort of aesthetics and whatnot. But the idea of you might get that, but it will never be that big because, like, people are slammed, they're busy, they're exhausted, their kids yeah, are running around. Tell they're me whatever. what it
1: means. Tell, tell me, what, me it means. what it
0: means. That's your job. You went to yeah. seminary. Tell me what yeah. this means. You know, I don't get an insurance agent who asks me to look through all the policies myself.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. what they're there for, <laughs> right? right. right?
0: I have an acquaintance
2: who was involved in kind of local expressions of Emergent Church more in the early 2000s. And uh, we had a conversation once, and I was just starting to get into, you know, cognitive science of religion and understanding, you know, how how groups are formed and ritual supports that. And I just remember telling him, you know, like, I wish you every success, but, you know, if you think you're going to grow this by telling people that nothing that they believe really matters. And that you're, you know, you can. You don't have to come. It won't. We're not going to shame you for not participating. And we don't really have any definable out group. Uh, it's gonna. It's going to be a challenge to yeah. really grow this beyond you know these you know 60, 70 people who are coming just because they like you and they want to to hang out. That wasn't a right. judgment. It was just an observation. And I think this this friend that I'm thinking of in particular uh, is a very charismatic kind of person. Had uh, evangelical kind of ministry experience, but was kind of moving on. But that still was kind of the mindset, which is like, man, if we make something fucking awesome, the people are going to come and it's going to blow up, right? And I'm like, yeah. that is baked into the psychology of, of what mm-hmm. you're presenting. It's not going to happen, which is which mm-hmm. is fine, right? And I think this is what maybe why I'm more hopeful now is that if you leave that model of success behind. And think about developing kind of smaller communities of of love and support that are nurtured intellectually by this, this, these online spaces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's a very exciting type of, of spirituality. It's authentically Christian, and it can actually be nurtured in ways that that uh, fit fit us psychologically.
0: So much in there for potential forecasting and, and, and typing, and you know, organization. Very cool, Myron. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back. I'm gonna list out the questions that we asked people. If you'd like more, you have permission. You can become a patron at Patreon.com/slash/DanCoke. That link is in the show notes. Patrons get at least two additional episodes per month, exclusive to them, as well as access to the patron-only Facebook group which is an awesome little online community for talking through all the crap that we are thinking as our faiths and our lives change. Um, It's a great, great community. So again, patreon.com slash Dan Coke, five bucks a month, uh, support something that you care about and join the community. Back to the episode. Okay. Here's the questions that we asked everybody. What is the most helpful thing the post-evangelical community can do for its own community members? What's the most helpful thing the post-evangelical community can do for those remaining in evangelicalism? What's the most helpful thing the post-evangelical community can do for the rest of society? What do you see as the top redeeming qualities, if any, of mainstream evangelicalism— What do you see as the top harms of mainstream evangelicalism that need to be exposed, explained, and or countered in public spaces? And finally, what might a healthy future for organized Christianity look like if you think such a thing is desirable? So I have my takeaways listed by level of agreement in three tiers. But before we get into any of those, does does anybody have any thoughts just having heard those questions or kind of top-level takeaways from the answers
2: i was just struck reading the responses that uh especially with you know on the engagement with you know those who kind of remain within the evangelical kind of movement they seem to kind of fall into two sorts uh and uh, a significant number were like you know don't be jerks just you know try and engage in constructive uh, dialogue you know and then <laughs> the other uh significant minority was like just you know don't bother
0: <laughs> right so there there was a, there were a few of those as well yeah that you could think of that as kind of a a continuum or a polarity yeah and it is interesting i think i was struck by the number of people who did have that more conciliatory or at least like let's be kind to the people in these spaces because a lot of them are going to be in our spaces if you give them <laughs> well, yeah. time. Because right? yeah. you see
1: yourself in them. Like, totally. I used to be that person. You
0: yeah. guys, do you ever
2: have this experience where you come across someone who's just like super earnest and they are just, they're, Oriented in a particular way, their heart's in the right place, uh they just love Jesus so much, and they just want everybody to love Jesus in exactly the same way and they've just bought into all the boxes, and you just find yourself thinking man i I hope when it all falls to shit for you that you find people who are gonna love you because it's Aww. gonna when you, you fall it's gonna you're gonna fall hard,
1: oh yeah, I sat next to a guy on a plane once, and he had like done the pendulum swing from. Pentecostal to hardcore reformed, like classical Whoa. reform, because you're like, oh, this emotion stuff was manipulative. Now I'm in my head and I know the truth, you know. And I found the logic of Christianity. So, And he had, like, even moved to another state to find, like, the right kind of reformed church that he wanted to go to. Anyway, I was sitting next to this guy on a plane and I was like, well, yeah, you know, uh, I'm a Christian too. And he wouldn't just leave it alone. He was, like, <laughs> asking me all these questions about what I believed and stuff. I was like, oh.
0: I feel really cringy because I see my old self in those interactions.
1: hundred percent,
0: yeah. Or, like, times in my life where, like, I couldn't help but just, like, talk about theology with people and the stakes felt very high and and all of this. And I'm just, oh, gosh.
3: (laughs) Well, that's something, like, something I thought about rereading these answers is that... It's funny, like, even the power systems that are at play that are so ingrained in the theology. Like, I just remember being like a freshman in college, truly having the attitude of just being better than everyone else, (laughs) which, like, (laughs) I would never have said that. Yeah. But that is what I thought. With all these non-Christians, I'm like, I'm just a witness. (laughs) They,
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so good they that I'm here to know. be a light.
3: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh.
0: <laughs> the specific way I remember thinking that was like in the context of Barnes and Noble, right? <laughs> at the bookstore in the Christianity section going, oh, if someone just walked in here, they would think that Marcus Borg is just as likely to be right as these other writers. And as, as Rick Warren. As Rick Warren and poor, <laughs> poor individuals. How will they know that they're being led astray? You know, and like, you, oh, if only they had, you know, my and my group's ability to discern between like true Christianity and like liberally corrupted Christianity or pseudo Christianity or whatever. It should have been a clue to me, but it wasn't (laughs) uh, at that point in my life.
1: I feel like quoting me without you. There's hope for Job like a cut down tree yeah Wow. <laughs> okay, that's so, for the but, me with, uh, that's for the me without you fans
2: so <laughs> like if if we if you kind of project in your own journeys we don't have to answer this but i just think it's cool to think about like 15 years from now what what will that person wish that they could have told us today whoa
3: right?
0: whoa
2: well because wanna...
0: we because we think we've got it all sorted out now right Myra, that's a great question. No. I do no. want to <laughs> problematize it, though, because I I. He's going to problematize. I'm going to problematize. I'm going to do what academics do. I'm going to problematize the question. Um, In a post-ironic, hyper-sincere way. Exactly. That's the only mode I have. Uh, I think of this question more sociologically than I used to because of the way that it sure seems from all the data that religion is now downstream of sociopolitics. And so when you you say you meet this person, oh, when it all falls apart for you, part of me is like, well, depending on the people and culture you surround yourself with, it might not ever fall apart for you. And in fact, it's going to be easier and easier in America if you're willing to go to a rural area Or suburban area in the middle of the country, like if you stay away from urban centers on the coasts and Chicago or whatever, it's going to actually be easier for you to just stay there forever because Mm -hmm. your plausibility structures will not be challenged because everybody around you is basically going to agree. Now, maybe the broad stream secularization trends will eventually erode that, but for the time being, I don't know. I mean, maybe even young people We'll, we'll find this I, that's that's a big question mark because of Wikipedia and the internet and and just demographic shifts and stuff like that but yeah I don't know man I mean that part of me thinks like oh it's it's gonna be pretty now it but it will never be as easy as it was in the in the 90s to be in that zeitgeist right so in that sense mm-hmm. in broad in big numbers it's still less easy to think that every well-meaning person agrees on everything than it was in the 90s but yeah that's my little
1: yeah that's why it would be so important to create communities in alternative spiritual communities let's just say for now because so that that's an option I mean that could just blow people's minds if that they have access to communities like that It's it's world changing you were talking about like all the pastors that are like the majority of pastors in those conservative evangelical seminaries what kind of people are those those are all white guys (laughs)
0: <laughs> well they're all guys by definition they're definitely all
1: guys <laughs> exactly yeah right. so like i can't imagine in this world that is just you have, like you said more access to information about other types of people other groups and if you don't feel comfortable in that monoculture led by that type of right. person then you're gonna go in search of other things
0: And all these podcasts, mine included, have thrived and grown numerically precisely because of the ease of access that wouldn't have been there 15, 20 years ago, right?
1: Southern Baptists, they just doubled down on their commitment to male-only pastors are allowed. They just doubled down on that. They're pot committed. Yep.
0: 2022,
1: dude. Wow. 2022. 2023,
0: almost. So let's start with quite a bit of agreement. Tier 1. I got three yes. tiers. Quite a bit of agreement. Tier two, a good amount of agreement. Tier three, a lot less agreement. These are my Wait, three. are you talking
1: about your agreement with how they answered? No,
0: no, this is <laughs> agreement of the respondents agreeing with Amongst each other. Each other. Yes, okay. no. <laughs> tier one is
2: the, those who show the most agreement with Dan. That's, Dan that's, that, those are top level respondents. The top tier right are the
0: people who agree with me. Yeah. No, no, no. Agreeing with each other is, of course, what I mean. So uh, I have two items in the. A lot of agreement The first one is The most helpful thing The post-evangelical community can do For its own members Is to validate people's experiences And help them find their own voice And exercise their own agency Curious what you guys think about this
1: So sweet It yeah. is sweet <laughs> It sounds to
0: me very therapeutic
1: Yes, that's like, what I was going to say too Very that's therapeutic
0: the f- It's the first thing mm-hmm. I thought of Is like I have had clients where this is essentially our goal, (laughs) you know, like – and to to validate experience and and make people feel uh, comfortable and that they're not crazy or whatever is basically a goal of of every single client and sometimes – Finding voice and exercising agency is also a therapeutic goal depends on what the person is going through, but it makes sense coming out, especially if you're a woman, especially if you are a sexual minority, um, if you're not a, if you're not a white dude, You probably did not get to exercise your voice or agency, at least not in spiritual matters, uh, maybe in other forms of your life. But Mm -hmm. like, yeah, this is a very sensible goal. Uh, It makes a lot of sense given people's experiences.
1: Yeah, it's wise. I mean, I'm dealing with this a lot and I'm like, I'm a lady in my late 30s and (laughs) some circumstances that, you know, there's already, you know, you don't have to be religious to have like people pleasing tendencies. So if you have those already, if you have some of the factors like that, like people-pleasing tendencies, like those kinds of dynamics in your family that sort of foster that. Mm -hmm. And then you have a ton of theology to support it um, that is uh, a recipe for, like, getting to a point in your life and being like, wait. Who am I? What are my... Did I make my own decisions ever? Like, mm-hmm. what... Who would I have been, asking yourself, who would I have been if I didn't have all those pressures? And, you know, I'm like a oldest child. Let me assess the situation and see how to be the the top performer in this situation. Mm-hmm. And if your main, you know, social group is, like, fundamentalist reformed church, you know, <laughs> like, I'm like, that's the box I'm going to try to be, like, top notch in, you know? it's like... Yeah. That's a bummer.
3: Sarah and I kind of actually talked about that the other day. Like for sure being so agreeable, but I think also you want to make Christianity seem as, you know, appealing as possible. So 100%. you have to be all things to all people, you know, and like get them excited. So so I think there's so much of that ingrained that to even be like, "Oh, I could be right. I could have an opinion." like is a process I have to learn over and over and over again. Like I can have my own opinion and I can say it and own it. And even be okay with people disagreeing, like that's so hard coming out of, I think, the background where I did where it was like, don't trust yourself, say these things because God knows better than you, and like, don't be disagreeable.
1: Don't follow your own desires or your heart. Don't, yeah, that's the heart is deceitful, you know? Oh,
3: yeah. Like that's, and you're just constantly doubting. Yeah. Doubting yourself.
1: So what I hear these people recognizing in their survey responses is that they don't want to replicate the kind of spiritual leadership they saw in churches that was, you know, trying to create this uniformity. They they want people to be comfortable. Like, there's a supposition that, like, if everyone was themselves and had their own agency and voice and, you know, whatever terms we want to use were fully self-actualized, that that would be bad because people, Because of original sin. Because you're basically bad. Hmm. And flipping the script on that, like, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone could fully express themselves? That's a high value in this community. Totally. That's what the world needs is actually for everyone to feel free to be their authentic selves or whatever.
0: Let me throw something out there. I want to see what you guys think. My worry... I agree with everything you said. My worry is that you go too far in that direction and it makes groups unsustainable. So if you imagine a continuum where a cult with a ironclad leader on one end and the other end is Occupy Wall Street and everyone's voice counts equally and nothing gets done. The the Occupy movement literally accomplished nothing except (laughs) to sit around and, like, I mean, maybe, maybe they accomplished, like, sort of non-participation for some amount of time, but, like, no policy goals, no, no laws changed, like, because it was just basically anarchism. And so my thinking is, what's the golden mean? Where is it not, you know, toxic leadership, but where is it? no leadership at all such that there's no group cohesion and we don't get the benefits of being a part of a group.
1: We definitely need this pendulum swing so that people can like Uh do the work, you know, but you could go too far with that, especially like to be like because boundaries, right? Like, okay, I'm learning how to set healthy boundaries. And then you become sort of obsessed that like anything that makes you oh, like, you know, you could never
0: any slight inconvenience needs a new boundary to be drawn. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. So how How do I... Yeah, and when you really love people, that's what you do all the time. You you know, you take care of people. You you just need to know how to do it healthily and and how to healthily... You learn the rules before you can break the rules. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. that's... But we're in the still, like, learning the healthy rules, the healthy therapeutic rules phase.
2: But re- remember, like, who we were asking this question to and, and what it is that we were asking them, right? So we're asking, you know, primarily podcasters in the post-evangelical space to say, you know, what's the most helpful thing they can do to people who are... to you know their listeners people who are coming out of right. evangelicalism and uh, it makes perfect sense for them to say you know re- it's a reasonable expectation that they're providing content that gives people categories to validate their own experience they're not alone yep. uh, and also to you know through a variety of different online means help them find their own voice and even even if even if people aren't engaging in patreon groups or facebook groups or other things even just al- allowing people to have a different way of of thinking about their own Experience and their own, uh, in some cases, trauma within uh, religious groups. That is a way of, of helping them find their voice because they have categories oh, yeah. and language to at least mm-hmm. narrate their experience in a way that's not traumatic. I guess what what a theme that we're kind of talking about is well, how to how to kind of foster a sustaining and life giving spirituality in this space. And so, what it doesn't seem to be on the radar is to give people a means by which they can identify shared goals. Or find community, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Which is what you're going to need in order to. And, and that's not a, that's not a knock no. on on podcasts. It's just not. It's just not on on the space. At least not yet. Or at least I'm not aware of it.
0: I don't yeah. think anything exists at a, at a wide level anyway. At yeah, but yeah. Well, that's a long term question that this is informing. Kristen, maybe that's your podcast. Uh, <laughs>
3: hey. hey, no, I think like for me, I don't know how you feel, but there's this implicit kind of understanding or way that I almost just naturally gravitate, I think from the upbringing where I'm coming from is that we're still seeking agreement, like still seeking stuff. And I know we all try and resist like the rush to the new fundamentalism. Like Sari, we were talking about that, or you said something about that the other day. And like, yeah, you can go from, Oh, we're not the Christian fundamentalist, but now we're almost like fundamentalist in the new way. And so I, I think Right now, like knowing that people in this community, these survey, you know, takers are going to disagree about things, you know, maybe, you know, 10 years from now when I'm a famous podcaster, like I disagree with Dan. We have public disputes on Twitter (laughs) or whatever Elon Musk calls it. Can't wait. How do we how do we model that disagreement in a way that doesn't like exclude one another? And I think that's if these voices, the people that have this influence, have that. Ability to show that I think that would be really a great way to help listeners going forward. So we're not just rushing back into, do we agree or not? Are we on the same page Lead about this by issue example. or not? Yeah. Lead by example.
0: My second and last Uh, quite a bit of agreement item. We don't need to spend time on the general item. I think we just, everyone agrees there are oppressive power dynamics at play in mainstream evangelicalism. (laughs) Yes, indeed there are. Um, (laughs) But I do wonder if I did wonder if you guys had any more specific takeaways that might nest under that large takeaway. This might be a good time to talk about those.
1: The fact that sexual abuse was number one, like I would have said for sure, spiritual abuse, but specifically sexual abuse, like, People are talking to their audiences, and I trust that that's the kind of reports that they're getting. I'm not, I guess I wasn't like totally surprised, but the fact that that was the number one thing that was mentioned and, you know, we're not talking about.
0: Didn't didn't this go out right around the time that the Southern Baptist oh, yeah. report yes. was out as mm-hmm. well? Yeah, I was thinking it was more national news. I have this as uh in a, in my good amount of agreement to, uh, tier 2, which is fine. We can jump between them. I actually I wrote I think this is new in the public consciousness that Protestantism <laughs> has yeah. a sex abuse problem. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, I think it obviously it has. Uh yeah. but you you associate with Catholics. And the big SBC scandal is the largest one in that world. I think a reporter told me, or I read somewhere, it's like, it's the biggest Protestant sex scandal in modern history. The SBC one. And so I thought that was interesting. Hey,
2: SBC, go big or go home.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's dark. (laughs) Uh, I think it's new that that people would say that that is a top problem with evangelicalism. I think five years ago, people would not have said sexual abuse. And I also think saying spiritual abuse, to say that's one of the big problems, that's also new. And that reflects an increase in the public consciousness of the—I mean, I think people wouldn't have said spiritual abuse two years ago. I mean, that one seems to me like— Really coming into the lexicon for people in a way mm-hmm. that, of course, I'm heartened by as a spiritual abuse right. researcher. It's
1: a new phrase that yeah a new they have for their
3: access. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was for Myron. Myron. <laughs> um,
0: Anything else about spiritual or sexual abuse you guys want to say?
3: I I think more people are going to. Yeah, I think the spiritual abuse side is going to keep gaining awareness because I would say. I, I'm kind of just thinking of friends who I have who probably are like saying the like words around spiritual abuse without using that term. So maybe they don't have hermeneutic access, but they'll get there.
1: No, no. I even I oh, that's still developing. Like that's an ongoing process. Like how the narrative around what you experienced, you know. And I was like, was it a cult that I grew up in? <laughs> I think it had some qualities that. V- Cult, you know, and like the way that you would go to a pastor to get permission to do certain things in your personal life or something like that, like get married to a certain person or, or whatever. Like, oh man, that's yeah. kind of culty, right?
2: But <laughs> oh, so I, I had a I had a two year stint as a, as a youth minister in our church, kind of in between, and I just remember like you know there were there were some c- community teens that would you know come along with their friends to youth events and stuff, and you know, some of the parents were a little freaked out by it. Like, you know, they, well, you're, you're bringing you know, like, they're up till like 10 o'clock. It's a school night. <laughs> They've got homework. Uh, and by the way, what do you guys believe anyway? And I'm not sure if I'm comfortable with my kid going to, to this, you know, religious kind of thing. And I just remember at the time thinking, Oh, you know, I didn't really get it. Like, you know, like why, why would you not want your kids to be around these, these other great kids and just these 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 helpful you know spiritual relationships but now looking back i think oh that kind of makes a lot yeah. of sense actually um yeah like is so my kid getting sucked into the, a cult or something like that? right <laughs> right well and then and then you know our our kids are teenagers right and and it was super important uh when you know we th- Put them in a youth group, like, okay, are they going to be sex shamed? Uh, are they going to get, you know, what, what kind of content are they going to get? And thankfully they they've, gonna... they've had, they, they've, they've not had. There's those no experiences, CDs anymore. But... So you can't
1: burn CDs at youth group.
2: <laughs> what do you do?
1: You just <laughs>
2: uninstall Spotify. <laughs> no, what, what you do is you go, you go to, you, you go to, Bar-
0: you go to Barnes and Noble, and you take all the Marcus Borg books and you put them I in the totally so no on. I totally used to. I totally used to do that. By the way, like I would, you I did would not, not put them in the back, but I would like. I would oh. choose which books were featured and, like, with the oh, cover yeah. facing oh, out. Oh, my gosh. 100% so did that. so embarrassing, Dan. Yeah. Did, oh, did,
3: did they send you a paycheck at the end of the month for your good work?
1: No, I think I remember doing that, too, with, like, so, so, oh, I'm going to take all the, like, Calvinists and, like, put them... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> we did have,
3: I worked at the public library, and we had this guy who was a Christian who we think was stealing the atheist books to make sure people didn't read them.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, we had no, yeah, we had no
3: way of stopping. We had no way of knowing, but we had suspicions.
0: It is, it is a very difficult move <laughs> to go from we have privileged special information to it's good to be in a marketplace of ideas. That is a very hard transition to make. It rubs against so much of your training if you're if you're brought up in in the former camp of like, no, we have special revelation like like this is what everyone should have you know and then to go like no we oh we could be wrong and they could be wrong and we need to actually duke this out is like it's alien to the former viewpoint and you get to a point where you go oh of course like we have to do that even within our like you realize oh even in our denominational history they did that people had duked out ideas right? right but like It is a it is a real significant, I think, psychological switch that is hard to flip and has a lot of consequences once you flip it and can be really disorienting. Mm. Briefly, Sari, I will say asking your pastor for who to marry or date is literally on the spiritual abuse screener that I developed. So I would call that spiritual abuse. Um, Or if
1: you can get divorced. Is another one.
0: That's, mm-hmm. Any life decisions, like any life decisions being run by your pastor for approval, I think is a massive red flag, personally. Um, but that's
1: very normal in evangelicalism.
0: Well, there's optionally running it by them, and there's an expectation that it must be run by them. And I would distinguish between those mm-hmm. two. Like, if you trust your pastor and you want their input on your life, that's not necessarily abusive. That's just like normal human relationships. You go to people you think are wise. I've consulted a former pastor of my church growing up on all the biggest decisions I've made in the last 15 years, you know, willingly, because he's the shit. He's like much wiser than me. You know, that's not abusive. But if he was like, Dan, I expect you to consult me. That would be spiritually abusive.
1: Well, with marriage stuff, there was an idea that like, if you did the wrong thing, that you could get like under church discipline, excommunication, whatever, <sighs> and then you're at risk of going to hell. Can I ask you guys one? Dan's face.
3: Oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> that the best eye roll I've there. ever seen.
0: That was the biggest eye roll I've given in a month. I want to know what your sense of this is because it's, I would imagine it's different. My sense in this spiritual abuse conversation like on instagram and and maybe other podcasts is a mixture of on the one hand it feels kind of like the wild west to me and i don't know if there's a lot of agreement and on the other hand most of the stuff i see i'm like yeah that's pretty close like that's about what i would think and sort of what i've read from the other researchers but i don't know what i'm not seeing i don't know all the accounts for instance that have very nice looking Instagram content that are like conflating spiritual abuse with other things or like, you know, overdefining it as inclusive of of far too many kind of watering it down in that sense. Or I don't know, do you guys have any sense of that? Or is that just not on your radar? I think by
3: calling it abuse, it feels, of course, very intense and powerful, which it like it is in many instances. And also, I'm kind of borrowing this idea from Actually, like, Kate Mann stuff, Myron, and, like, the kind of patriarchy and stuff. Like, she says people exercise misogynistic behavior, but that's at very low levels as well. Now, it's still misogynistic behavior, but you almost have to accept that it will happen in the process of people learning how to... Be less misogynistic. So, similarly, mm-hmm. in terms of spiritual abuse, there are things that people will do that they have almost learned that inherently are somewhat spiritually abusive because that's the structure they're coming from. And just because that is happening, even at low levels, doesn't mean it's acceptable or we you know, are going to say, Oh, that's fine. But we also need that space to allow people to unlearn that and learn new habits. So I would say, depending, like you can apply it and it can feel really intense or you can apply that term and it can be like, okay, yes, we know this is part of the process of change. This might be spiritual abuse and the person who's doing it is trying to unlearn how to like, or learn how not to be spiritual abusive, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. That would be more for like a a lay person because spiritual abuse does not only come from leaders. It can come from within your community and family members and stuff. It's maybe a different trajectory for like a pastor who's who's kind of going through that.
3: Yeah, but I would say there's pastors like they could be up being like spiritual abuse is wrong and bad and then like resort back to habits of like almost, well, this is what I do. So it's just a, pro- a pro- trust the process. No, I
0: think that <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> I think that's right. And it, it reminds me of Sari's, you know, comment about boundaries. Like when you first discover setting boundaries, like everything needs to be a boundary, a minor inconvenience from a really good friend. You might feel like you have to set a new boundary with that friend when it's like, no, okay. You know, like not, not everything requires a boundary, but totally. you do need some boundaries and then it's a discernment process or whatever.
1: Yeah. So much of this stuff comes down to, like, not being an asshole. And sometimes you do, you know, when you're doing your own work, you, you discover categories that are really helpful for processing what you experienced and healing from what you experienced. Now, if you continue, probably from as a therapist, Dan, you, like, okay, I was a victim, They're, they were an abuser, but then you don't want people to, like, villainize others. Like, you don't want to then create this extreme other of like bad guys, good guys. You want people to have more nuanced understanding, which is what Kristen was talking about, like of people on a, on a journey and able to forgive people and accept that, take ownership for the things that you did wrong and all this kind of stuff. And then there's like stuff like stuff like hell, like to teach someone that they're going to hell. Is that abusive?
0: The way that I, I have it is basically using terror to motivate religious decisions All these things are potentially spiritually abusive. Very few of them are always, always spiritually abusive. But yeah, Yeah. using terror or horror to motivate religious decisions, like
1: apocalypse, like like yeah, end of the world times, and then
0: teaching teaching like developmentally inappropriate, sort of scary stuff to children. I think is I think that is spiritually abusive and. Probably yeah, just yeah, yeah. Abusive. So, like,
1: yeah, I mean, I used to talk about hell to people or whatever, and I did that because that's what was handed to me, and, like, we're all part of this, like, bigger story and chain chain of <laughs> toxic stuff that we're trying to, to work on or whatever, so...
2: I just remember that that one example from your End Times Anxiety series, Dan, but where the people were like reading, you know, scripture to their six or seven year old kid at night. And it was the part about revelation and the trumpet sounding and the parent on the, on the stairwell blowing the fucking trumpet
0: as the kid is <laughs> yeah, freaking out. Now yeah. it's
2: happening now. And I'm like, oh, my God.
0: And that one was so sad because it was very clear that the the dad was like kind of half joking. But they just didn't. They weren't thinking of that that might imprint <laughs> yeah. and really freak their kid out, you know? Oh, gosh. Uh, I am already... Soren's two and a half, and I'm already Aww. terrified of what people might teach him. And, you know, I need to work through that uh, in my own mind. Uh, <laughs> and we have to figure out what our boundaries are going to be for him. But, yeah, let's... Uh, one last break, and then we're going to talk about community fostering. Oh. All right. So we're in our... Tier two, a good amount of agreement section now fully. And I've got two items here about what the these uh, post-evangelical communities should be offering. They should create intentional space for doubt, change, and conversation. I think obviously a lot of them already do, are, do that quite well. And they should foster community online but also in person. Uh, I thought this was interesting sort of— collection of ideas with quite a bit of agreement. The in-person thing obviously very much still in process and COVID has been a real uh barrier to that. I think for me one one thing that really came through and it's kind of consistent with those two points
2: is just almost a quasi pastoral tone in the responses that people people were giving and I think the desire to to really create those spaces for people to process their own experience and to even look to in-person events for for developing community I think I think reflects that.
3: I'd actually be interested to at some point if someone would do research about the psychological effects of in-person like spaces, like how that how different that is, maybe even specifically in this like post-COVID world because I've been reading stuff about how people are really wanting to gather again and actually wanting to gather in like physically rich places, not like just instagrammable like minimalist spaces. And so like what sort of different i don't know psychological components are activated in those physical spaces and i know there's such things like the spiritual technologies but yeah i'm curious more about that side of things
0: it's really a option for innovation i think these communities these leaders you know we can try out some different things sort of knowing that some of them won't work but much like we got Obamacare from Romney care <laughs> in Massachusetts, right? Like at the state level, you know, they tried a few things out, and that was the best model that Obama thought he could get past, right? And you know, I, I wonder if there's something like that where some sort of connection over the internet and occasionally conferences or whatever, you know, if we could if we could try some things and people can share resources, that, that would honestly be a kind of a good Next step, if there was any sort of association between these leaders, of hey, what's working? What are, What are you guys trying? What are you guys trying? And the internet makes that a lot easier. Do we need to start with a statement <laughs> of faith, though, <laughs> like define who yeah, who's exactly in, who's we got to come up with our doctrine? Okay, who, 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 uh, who do we have? You know. let's, let's identify those people <laughs> first. <laughs> No, but you could even, like, interview people about their experience. I mean, you can go even further than just, like, sharing, oh, the pastors get together and and share stuff. Like, the communities can have an episode where they talk with three or four people who have been trying out this thing that they've been trying out. And, okay, what's what's it been like for you? And then if a bunch of people do that, you've all of a sudden got this kind of interconnected web. It's interesting.
1: Like I said earlier, I'm a proponent of these, like, alternative in-person spaces. Like, just let your listeners in the Ann Arbor, Michigan area get together and meet a couple times a month and talk about what they listen to, you know? And I think that's really cool and a good, like, at least in-between step, if, you know, not, like, all you need. But I also have fear that there's, like, we still aren't mature enough to even do that. Like, Mm. you could imagine scenarios where, like, Mm. oh, like, a couple people have conflict or they disagree. And, like, how can we equip people to gather in groups and know how to handle disagreements in a civil, generous way and you know, whatever, honor each other's boundaries and Mm. i don't know or or like how to spot narcissism you know like maybe someone has like natural (laughs) leadership qualities and someone's really turned off by that and thinks that they're trying to hijack the group or whatever like i can just imagine all these little scenarios where dynamics get dicey and and it's like so i don't know i i just wonder about that. Like
0: what let's let's play spot. The predator. <laughs> Gosh.
1: Who's most likely? Yeah.
0: One possible starting point to ameliorate that risk is to if you are gonna have any kind of organization to base mm. it off twelve steps. Where Cros- it's like yeah. hey, no- at this yeah. early stage yeah. anyway, there's no crosstalk. No one's in charge. Everyone shares. At the end of the meeting, if you'd like to go get lunch with someone, you are welcome to do that. But like it's more about There's a topic and people go around and they share if they want to and you don't speak in to their experience and there's that step. It's not a step, but it's one of the um, covenants or something. It's like if you hear something that someone says that you cannot accept, remember that is what they think and their experience. It's not the official stance of AA and like live and let live, right? But those communities are able to provide, consistently provide community connection, a place for processing experiences in a way that is really maybe unparalleled. I have spent some time in 12-step meetings. I don't know. I don't want to say much because I don't want to implicate people in my life who are the motivator for those. I'll I'll say I have not been for my own addiction. I've been to the um, where you are involved Mm -hmm. with another person's addiction type of groups. and. It's a good check for me to not, you know, I don't get to speak into everyone's thing. And, <laughs> and sometimes I like, I want to respond to three different people at the end of the meeting. And I've, I've, I've sort of tried, I've done that and regretted it. And like, oh, this is a, this is like a good corrective for my natural tendencies, right? To just share what I'm going through if I want to and listen to everybody else and basically leave it at that. And uh, I find it actually quite healthy Uh, For me, Mm. if unnatural, (laughs) (laughs) that's putting it mildly.
1: I, too, have been to those types of meetings, and I think that no crosstalk rule, no unsolicited advice like that rule does more good than harm, for sure. But then there's also those moments where someone has shared some like uh, something really raw and traumatic, and it feels weird to not respond, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, Um, if like you don't want to. I guess you just like no, don't say anything prescriptive would be maybe mm. an, a rule yeah. or I, I don't know that's We can workshop the rules later, like, Siri. <laughs> <laughs> I just try to solve yeah. all these problems. <laughs> you should call it
3: the 12 rules for life.
1: <laughs>
3: oh, 12 rules no. for life groups. Um,
1: right. <laughs> There's something about a lobsters, or
2: I'm just imagining some kind of SNL skit where it's in a 12-step kind of program, and everyone's kind of respecting the rules, except for one Theobro reformed <laughs> pastor who's there with someone else yeah. and totally violates it all, and just you know speaks truth into everyone's <laughs> life in and, the most cringy and you know way what possible. Though
0: I would say to that is, and then the natural consequences of that is that everybody in that group would realize what a dick that guy was being and it wouldn't work Mm. and he wouldn't convince anybody and they would be inoculated against it. Like even that is useful. It can be useful for people's life experience in the aggregate. Here's something I had. Unless someone won't Well, sure. And there will always be people who want the Theo bro pastor because that is what they're craving. And that's back to Tony's point. One connection here, you know, we did a theology beer camp reaction episode on the Patreon feed. And I also put a link, I put it in the Facebook group, but you know, regular feed listeners, I'd recommend you go to the Homebrewed Christianity feed. Actually, Josh will put a link to it in the show notes that he, uh, Trip did a sort of reaction to Homebrewed uh, Theology Beer Camp. And one of the things that came up there, it was really It good. made me cry. It was and, so good. Um, I really need to listen and a lot of people feeling a lot of validation, people feeling a lot of encouragement, mm-hmm. but something that came up in our conversation uh, with Tony and Josh, and, and I got some comments from patrons sort of agreeing with this stance that Tony took, which is like, at the same time, he felt like a lot of the speakers didn't try anything challenging. They basically did their greatest hits mm-hmm. for, to the choir and and like didn't workshop any new ideas didn't challenge the audience in any way a lot of like hey we're all correct in being here and and so it worked really well along the validation and encouragement spectrum is very successful at that what's interesting is like thinking about it therapeutically with a client I will have a discernment of when it's time to challenge them. And I can be very careful about that and would be very careful about that and try and, you know, of course, not do it directly and and get their buy-in and and whatever. But when you are making something for a public audience that is the same for everyone who listens, where do you drift into challenge? And when do you stop merely validating, encouraging, you know – encouraging agency and voice like when do you start bringing in stuff that goes well and here's where we all might be getting this wrong or here's where we are probably missing the mark as a group or you know what have you I find that to be a really interesting and tough question I don't know do you guys have any thoughts on that
3: I mean I said to Sari that I think actually (sighs) there is something where maybe more time actually not in the full groups, like breakout conversation and allowing that to spin out a little bit more, but also because yeah, like playing the hits, I feel like post COVID that was kind of appropriate, but maybe subsequent events like kind of, yeah, starting to build and create more of those opportunities for that complexity.
1: Good challenges, I think come in the form of questions and then they don't feel very like combative. They feel like, Oh, you know, just like I'm sure Myron does with his students, teaching people how to think, not what to think. You know what I mean? I'm not sure when the point is. You just got to, like, listen to your heart, trust the Holy Spirit, wisdom.
0: <laughs> well, there's not a one-to-one between working with an individual and creating something for a bunch of people to listen to, right? Like like Socratic questioning, which is what you're describing. Yes. Open-ended questions that encourage the client to, like, make logical connections and, and find their way to it is my favorite that's my favorite thing to do with clients. You you just literally can't yeah. do that in a podcast. I mean, you could do it with your guest. You can occasionally model it, you know?
1: Yeah, well, like at Fuller Seminary, the classes were taught really a lot in that way. There was like, but there was also a presentation of like a multiplicity of options as well. So it's like, here are the questions, everybody. Let's think about them. And here are some of the ways the tradition has sought to yeah. respond to this question. And giving that multiplicity of options is really helpful, but being exposed to that. So that is an example that's, that's comparable to doing a podcast, right? You're talking to a classroom of people, but in order to sort of grow and construct something meaningful for my own life, I need to do that in a small, yes. smaller groups. It's like a couple people talking it out and picking which buffet option is going to work for me and create meaning right. in my life. So
0: yeah, that's a theme. Now, both of you guys have mentioned that recently, this idea of uh, Kristen and Sari of like, breakout sessions or essentially a smaller group in which to process things that you all heard collectively at an individual level. I wonder if that's a an area for us post-evangelical content people to think about, because obviously by default, the thing that we are all doing, whether it's a podcast or a blog or a book or anything, is for public consumption. It's as many people can read or listen to it as want to. And how might we, with a, without a building, you know, do – how might we facilitate something like that? I mean, there are certainly digital options. And that's mm-hmm. – I don't know. That's got me – that's piquing my interest a little bit. I'm
2: curious. Uh, I'll, um, I'll have to listen to the episode, Tony's comment about, you know – it was fine, but not really, you know, pushing any kind of boundaries or challenging kind of people. Were there specific things that he was kind of thinking this community needs to be pushed in, in a certain way? Or th- were there certain things he
0: had had in view that, oh, I wish we would have talked about X, Y, or Z? His primary thing was like, as a writer and speaker himself, he was like, what a missed opportunity. You have like the ideal audience to try out some new material. You've got a situation where basically there's a lot of ideological homogeneity and like, where is our community doing things wrong? Like, what, where where are we losing out? But I, I do think that Kristen's point is well taken. And I think I want somebody, maybe it was me or Josh, also said like, you know, after two and a half years of basically none of these things, like... Perhaps that community and validation was the appropriate thing, and and based on the responses that Trip got, it seems to have been what people needed. Now, yeah. you know, yes. validation
1: and connection, mm-hmm. and that was the emphasis. And also, I'm pretty sure Trip asked them to do their greatest hits in their keynote.
0: Sure, yeah, he he may have. Well, I know Myron. Like I know that you and you and Sarah um you guys did your greatest hits however your work is not as known in those spheres as for instance diana mm-hmm. butler bass's mm-hmm. work is right or adam clark who i think trips had on like five times you know on the show or something right i don't have data just
2: a few comments though and and impressions is that like for a number of, a number of people afterwards you know had had never heard any of that material before from cognitive science of religion and how it connects right. to experiencing god and it was very I don't know if unsettling is the right word because that that's a it wasn't as unsettling to them as it would have been in some other spaces. But it was, it was unsettling a little, to me when I first uh, interviewed you. I about remember it. I went <laughs> to a crisis of faith for a second. That's a little strong,
0: Kristen <laughs> <But, laughs> <no>, Tyler. Yeah, <it's, laughs> my daily crisis. <laughs> Thanks, Myron. <laughs> well, he did actually, for what it's worth, Tony specifically exempted you from that. He thought that your and, and Sarah's talks, th- those are the only two he mentioned by name. Mm-hmm. So I won't, you know. Just
3: conveniently. He did, though.
0: No. I
3: pushed, <laughs> no, I
0: actually advocated for, I think the record will show, but I, I advocated for your and Sarah's work as like, I think for the two of you, it made sense to like lay out your research program because it's not that widely known uh, in that group.
1: I just love trying to imagine what everyone's hot takes would be if they really went like went for it like <laughs> oh my gosh. Like all yes. those people who spoke, what are their
0: <laughs> 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 wow. <laughs> well, or it could yes, just be please. a thing that they're working, you know, something that they're developing. Yeah, That's not yeah, a hot new, take, but yeah. New anyway. Research or something. I cut you off,
2: Myron. <laughs> no, no, that that should like if not the theme for the next theology beer camp, maybe like one one kind of evening session is like hot takes. Hot yeah. takes yeah, edition. actually a good idea.
1: <laughs> We're going to go real deep mm. with like Uh You need to sign like a special waiver
3: (laughs) Okay,
2: here's a hot hot take I think process theology is a little preachy
0: Oh
1: Oh my gosh I have noticed Myron Myron is noticeably silent Around process topics And I'm like I mm. want to draw him out on. Sounds like he doesn't trust the process. <laughs> Heyo,
3: is he? Sorry, that's such a Philly party?
0: thing. I keep saying that. Myron, that's sw- twice in one recording. Myron, have you RSVP'd no to the process party? Uh oh! <laughs> he wouldn't even drink <laughs> the beer. No, no, no! I hundred percent
2: drank many of those beers because really they good were beer. so awesome. It was yeah. Really shout out to dude. Josh.
1: Shout Patrick. out to Josh Pattinson. Dude, He nailed it. Yeah, he nailed it. He's the best, honestly.
0: Well, guys, we're out of time. Thank you so much for joining me. This has been a really great conversation. And obviously I will send this out to the people that I contacted who did the survey, if they want to listen. And maybe this will lead to something, to some more kind of communication amongst uh, this community. Maybe we've planted some seeds. And thank you guys for your involvement in that And, and Kristen for all your coalition work. Which I did not have the time or energy to do. <laughs>
3: <I'm> really beautiful. <laughs> Yay. Thanks for having me. Join you, smarty
0: pantses. Oh, stop Whatever. it.
1: Whatever. You're
3: the smart. Hey, You're smarter you, than all you know of us. You know what? There's a little <laughs>
0: evangelical female uh, thing to, to shed, okay? Downplaying your oh. ability to sit at the big. Thanks thanks for explaining that to them. Dan,
1: yeah, you should have phrased that maybe as a question.
2: (laughs) One thing I might might... invite one to consider. (laughs) Shoot, did I just? Okay, I got another another hot take. I got another hot take. (laughs) Oh, oh. Tom Ord toxic toxic person no that's not true no one is that nice i think no I, I feel never. i feel oppressed by his perfect his uh, presenting
1: he perfect like a, a gentle sea breeze of a person oh, are you like
0: what a sweet guy sorry for for uh toxically mansplaining your uh, growth areas to you <laughs> Kristen. <laughs>
3: it's okay i accepted it immediately without question <laughs>
0: It felt right. Oh my gosh. It was my role. (laughs) All right. Sarah, Meyer, and Kristen, thank you guys so much.